Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Father, we receive now the anointing of the Holy Spirit to make the Word come alive and to even, Lord, make your your table come alive afresh. Come and minister to us, and I pray for grace to speak your Word so we can hear you. In your name we pray, amen. As Moses interceded for his rebellious nation, he made a remarkable statement. He told the Lord that if he would not forgive Israel for its sin of worshiping the golden calf, he wanted his own name removed from God's book. His words surprise us and make us want to ask, what book? Because up till now the Bible's not mentioned such a book. But Moses had a level of relationship with God which involved deeper communication than anyone else in the Old Testament. So there were things in the spiritual world he knew and saw for the first time. In this case, he confidently mentioned a book in which God recorded the names of those who belonged to him. As we'll discover in our study today, there were other prophets who came after him in the Old and New Testament who acknowledged the existence of this same book. As we survey their words, an amazing picture emerges. There is indeed a book called the Book of Life. And whether or not our names are written there makes all the difference in the world. First, we'll examine more closely the nature of this book, and then we'll review the necessary steps to ensure that our names are also recorded there. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to take you through and, and, and a survey, and uh, where I'm going to just let you see the impact of this through the word, that there is such a book. There's a book with people's names written in it in heaven, And it's the names of those who belong to God. Let's have a look at that. Exodus chapter 32, verse 30 is where we'll start. It came about on the next day that Moses said to the people, You yourselves have committed a great sin, and now I'm going up to the Lord... Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has committed a great sin, and they have made a god of gold for themselves. But now, if you will, forgive their sin. And if not, please blot me out from your book which you have written. The Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. In other words, It's not for you to decide who's in and who's out. I'll do that. But go now, lead the people where I told you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I punish, I will punish them for their sin. And then the Lord smote the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron had made. And I'm I'm rather certain on this, as I study at this time, that he's referring forward to Numbers chapter 14 where... um, As they refused to go in the land and everything else, God finally 
took his hand off that generation and let the entire generation over the next 38 years die in the wilderness. And I think that's, that's what it's referring to. The Lord's saying, the day will come when I'll deal with them, but I'll, I'll withhold my hand now. There is a heavenly census, just as there is an earthly census. Uh, there's a passage here in, in these chapters of Exodus in which they took a census of all the people. And they wrote their names and they, they counted all the people. Well, there is a heavenly census as well. God has a record book of those who belong to his kingdom. And it's this book that Moses is referring to. Isaiah understood the same book. In Isaiah chapter 4, verse 3, those who live in Jerusalem, he's prophesying, looking at the future, and he says, when the Messiah returns to Jerusalem, everyone who's recorded for life in Jerusalem will be living in that city. Recorded for life. Isaiah knew something. Daniel 7, verse 10 the prophet Daniel saw into heaven's courtroom during the Antichrist's kingdom. You remember that wonderful passage where he says the ancient of days uh, took his seat and he was shining his hair like wool, you know. He sees this magnificent uh, image of God coming and taking his great judgment seat. And then he, ma he makes this remarkable statement. He said, the courts sat, and so there's some sort of heavenly court, and the books were opened. Books. What books? were open. Books were opened. In chapter 12, Daniel, again referring to the tribulation, said, everyone who's found written in the book will be rescued. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. So that book has something to do with when you're resurrected at the end of time, and all people will be, good and bad, will be resurrected, some will be resurrected to a resurrection of, of eternal life and some to judgment and disgrace. And it depends on where whether your name is written in this book, this book of life. Jesus, by the way, refers to exactly that in chapter 5 of John. Uh, you remember he says, I, I, the moment will come and you're going to hear my voice. The dead and the graves will hear me. And there'll be those who rise to a resurrection of judgment and those who rise to a resurrection of eternal life. Prophet Malachi, chapter 3.16, says, And a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and to esteem his name. So Malachi knows about this book. Jesus, uh, talking to his disciples after they returned from a ministry time in which the power of God was moving very dramatically and they were casting out demons, and he said to them, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are what? Recorded in heaven. Recorded in heaven. Paul uh, refers to those who shared his struggle for the cause of the gospel as the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So Paul knew of the book. Hebrews chapter 12 pictures the heavenly city of Jerusalem. And it describes it this way. It says, but you have come to Mount Zion. Mount Zion was one of, is one of the, those low hills in Jerusalem upon which the temple was built. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are what? Enrolled in heaven. Again, 
who are written in this book of God. And then Revelation 21, 27 says, those who enter the new Jerusalem, this, and we've, Hebrews talked about it, Isaiah talked about it, there'll be a new Jerusalem. Those who enter the new Jerusalem are only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Those whose names are there will spend eternity in a new Jerusalem. Now, the unnerving part of this is that Moses made that reference. He said, if, if, if not, blot me out, uh, remove, wipe, actually wipe my name out of, the, out of that scroll. Ancient scrolls were written on leather and, and they would wash that ink or whatever off the leather scroll. Blot my name, wash it off of your, of your list. And you say, can you do that? Is there an eraser on this thing? Uh, that, that's the unnerving part. Uh, David, in Psalm 69 Praise against his enemies this way. He says, may they be blotted out, same phrase, out of the book of life, and may they not be recorded with the righteous. David is one tough guy. If, you cr if he gets angry at you, man, he wants your teeth crunched. And remember that? He says, grind down their teeth. And does all kinds of stuff to people. And here he wants their names blotted out of the book of life. The Lord, speaking through the prophet Ezekiel, talks about false prophets who apparently had been part of the of the, of the of the covenant community of Israel, but it, God says they will no longer have place in the council of my people, nor will they be written down in the register of the house of Israel. In other words, I will not register them as true, uh, true Jews, men and women of, of faith of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Revelation 3.5, Jesus promises those who overcome he says, I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Those whose names are not written in the book of life are recorded in other books. There's a book of life, but there's other books. And the other books record our deeds. I suppose particularly the bad ones. I, don't, I suppose good and bad, but who wants to see that book, you know? like a phone book, and it keeps growing. I suppose those of you that are in tech, into technology figure it's a microchip, but uh, whatever, there's going to be a record of it. Revelation 13.8, John describes those who would, who would be deceived by the Antichrist. He says, in the last days, there will be those who are, who are vulnerable to deception, spiritual deception. Who are they? They're the ones whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. In other words, people who aren't born again will be deceived spiritually. I was just reflecting on that this morning, how much of Germany followed Adolf Hitler, and yet they were Lutherans <laughs> and Catholics. How, does, how do Lutherans and Catholics follow Adolf Hitler? Well, they're not born again. You couldn't. But the Lutherans and Catholics who were born again didn't and died for it in many cases. So there was a believing church and then there was a nominal church and it became glaringly evident. And I, why do I bring up Adolf Hitler? Is because he manifested the spirit of Antichrist. Spirit of Antichrist isn't just one person. It has been popping up. That same thing has been popping up like, like, like mushrooms in your grass. It keeps coming up through history. 
And there it is again, and it sort of tries to express itself in its full orb as, as the Antichrist, and then it's been put down because God has not determined its time for the Antichrist to have his day. But a day's coming when that hand of restraint will be lifted off, and he will come full force, and we will see him for who he is. But it's, you, you've, you've even seen it in history that certain people will be deceived and deceivable. And others will not. They'll spot it for what it is. For they're born again and they have the eyes of God and the ears of God. They recognize what they're seeing. Re uh, let's turn to Revelation 20. John, in his visions, sees the final judgment. Let's see how he describes it. Verse 11, Revelation 20. Then I saw a great white throne... And him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away. And no place was found for them. So here's, here's the throne, and this is the throne of Jesus Christ. He's returned, and he's coming to, to, to judge now the earth. And there'll be some shout of his. And he says, I saw the dead and the great and the small standing before the throne. And books were opened. Notice the plural. Books were opened. And another book singular, was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. So there's these books containing our deeds, and then there's the book of life. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. So it's a fair judgment. Your book is opened, and your life is read. And God will know all the motives of our hearts, so there's nothing hidden in this moment. And so the judgment of God will be completely just, and no one will be able to argue and say that's not fair. They'll be listening to their, the record of their life, uh, as they, and, and they'll know it to be true. That's the wonder of it all. Then death and Hades, Hades being the grave, were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And uh, talk about what that is some other day. A little unnerving to think that there might be a book that records your life, huh? Stuff we'd like to burn that book. <laughs> I want to show you what happens to that book when we're born again. When we give our life to Christ... There's a very remarkable statement made in the Bible. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 2. If we get a hold of this truth, uh, we become rabid Pentecostals. This one, this one will set you free. Uh, I'll start at verse 11. Paul is talking about uh, what happens when we become Christians, when we become, he calls it in him, in Christ. We're joined to Christ by faith. He says, in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Ignoring what that is, the, the, the point of circumcision is this. It was the sign of the covenant. And so you and I are moved from being people who didn't belong to God. We weren't recorded in, in any book. We, we had no claim on, on the blessings of Abraham or of, of the promises of the Bible. We were people who were outside but now God has taken us and included us as children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as, as, as people who are part of that book. That's the point, that we are now recorded in the registry 
of the people of faith from the beginning of time. Your name is there. And how does it happen? It happens without hands, which means it wasn't something any human did. It is something God alone has worked in us. In the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Christ has taken away this, um, our, our evil and has done the work all by himself. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and uncircumcision of your flesh, when you were dead in your sins and you weren't recorded in that book of life which registers the people of God. That's what it meant. He made you alive together with him, with Christ, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Now, I want you to read, whatever version you got, verse 14 with me out loud, because this one, this one is, this is a home run. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Now say, having nailed it to the cross loud. Having nailed it to the cross. Again, having nailed it to the cross. So there's where your books of your deeds went. Now, we get to understand that, you'll realize there is no book of your deeds left. When you come to Christ, that beast has been nailed to the cross, and it's gone. Meaning, there will be no judgment. It will not be read from when you stand before God. The only thing that will happen when you stand before God is the book of life will be opened, and the Father will say, is her name there? Is his name there? And the Lord will say, because he's the lamb who's worthy to open the book. And he will open the book and he'll say, her name is here, Father. And he'll read your name and confess you before the Father and before the angels, which is that great court that's standing there. And here's your name. That is, if, you know, it's almost a scary truth. You and I are so free from the law and from the judgment of God, you could almost go wild the reason you won't is that truly born-again people have new hearts. Truly born-again people aren't trying to cheat the system. We're not trying to game God. We're trying to, we, want, we love Him. And we want to be like Him. And so the, that's a lifetime process, but the Holy Spirit is guiding us and changing us and cleansing us. So we don't have to have this decree. This decree is no place in our life anymore. It's these books, they're gone. We, we, we said it another way the other day when we looked at the scapegoat. Remember that? It, the, where, that's the passage in the Old Testament where they laid, the priests laid their hands on this particular goat and it was led out into the wilderness never to return. And he confessed the sins of all of Israel. We, and, and the point was that your sins are not only forgiven, but they are forgotten. The decree is nailed to the cross and it's gone forever. I am relieved personally. I don't want to see the book. Ugh. Now, of course, the question that's important is, what must I do to make sure that my name is written in the book of life? Now, let's, let's be careful here, because there's a lot of false assumptions in the American church. There are a lot of people who say, well, you go to church, you get a good attitude toward God, you know, you try to, try to be a good person, uh, you, you do good stuff, you know, 
God sees your heart. So he knows you're trying. It's not true. One of the reasons that, there's, that you have situations where you'll find people that go to church and yet their private lives are, are dishonest, immoral. Some of the cruelest, meanest people in town can be churchgoers. And that's one of the things that stumbles people who aren't believers in Christ. They look at certain people and say, well, you're a churchgoer, you're a Christian, and you did this. One of the reasons the, the Jewish community is having such a hard time with the Messiah, Jesus Christ, is because they look and say, where were you when they were, when they were putting us in the gas chamber? Why didn't you as a church rise up and scream? Where were you, Christians? I think Adolf Hitler was nominally a Catholic, wasn't he, or something? And so they say, this is what Christians do. And so they've just been seared, and we, we, we're having a dreadful time convincing them that this isn't what Christians do, because it's what people who call themselves Christians did. Now, that's, that plague is troubling us. And I'll tell you what the problem is. You can go to church till you're, till you're blue. You can be highly religious. You can, be, uh, you can vote Republican. You can, you, can, you can take health food and, and uh, you know, buy gold or whatever you do when you listen to the religious media. You can do all that stuff. And you can do it for 50 years. And you're not necessarily at all born again. In fact, if that's all you do, you're not born again. Born again is a specific miracle, and when it happens, it happens. And when if it hasn't, it hasn't. And if it has, you'll know it. Just a few weeks ago, a family was on vacation, uh, and they came back here. Uh, they now live in the middle part of the United States. And I looked up, and I, they'd been here so many years, I didn't even, didn't even mentally make note, oh, they're back, because I'm so used to seeing them. And uh, they came up after service and were just, you know, being very loving and, and, and glad to be back. But whenever I, I see the, the husband of, of that family, I'm all, I, always, I, I can never forget years ago an event that happened. He and his wife were, were small group leaders in this church. They were, they were, they were wonderful people. There was, you never would have said, now here's a guy that's... Um, Religious, but not born again. You never would have said that. Uh, I, I didn't think it at all. And after, I, I, well, let me step back. I began to preach a little more feisty like I'm doing now, you know, where I, I got the gospel demands out there more clearly. You know, I'm confronting you right now, aren't I? I mean, this is a little uncomfortable to have to say, wait, wait a minute. But I'm putting the gospel demands out there. And I was doing that. And after service... He walked to the front, and, and, um, and he said, uh, Pastor, he said, I believe I was born again today. And I, and I said, don't say that. I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, here's a small group leader and everything else. I think, you know, I, uh, and, but he wouldn't be put off. And, and he looked at me real straight, and he said, all I can say is something happened to me today. I responded to what you said. And he said, something happened to me today that has never happened before. That's all I can tell you. And I will say that as I've observed him in the years since, he's different. I mean, he was good before, but he's better now. And there's a softness in him, and it's, you can, there's a look in the eyes 
And there's a tenderness to his heart. He's not the same man. Something has changed deeply in him. And in fact, they're back in the central part of the United States, not because they want to be, but because they have, feel a call to witness to their family. And so they're back working and, and living in that environment where they are uh, just to bear witness and to pray and to love their, their household to know Christ because they, they have been concerned. It isn't enough to go to church. So what I'm going to run by you today, you may have been here longer than I have. You may know everything I'm going to say. Information, knowledge doesn't save you. Knowing these things doesn't save you. Here's the key missing element. There must be a deep decision. Some people want to argue that that, that we are, that, that our salvation is all of God, meaning that he, he sort of picks out who he wants to save and zaps them with some faith and, and, and they get saved. But you really have no responsibility. You don't even make a choice for God. It's nonsense. It denies the entire statement of the Lord that you've been made in God's image. Sinner or believer, we've been made in God's image and he has given us a will. And he's given us an intellect, and he's given us the capacity to know right from wrong. He's made us so that we can respond to him. And you can, and you must choose. How many people have, I'll, I'll see people who've been raised in a particular church their whole life. They know all the stuff. And then they go to some place, and somebody finally calls upon them to make a decision and choose Christ. To respond to him, and then they're born again. And yet they were religious all these years. But they weren't born again, not really even by their own choice. They, nobody ever told them. They just informed them. Information, isn't it? And so what is it? What, what has to happen? First of all, for a person to be born again, three things I think must be present. There has to be an honest presentation of the demands of Christ, not an angry or a mean presentation of it. You simply have to tell the truth. Do you ever wonder why Jesus dealt with that rich young ruler the way he did? Remember, remember that account? The rich young ruler comes up and it says Jesus looked at him and loved him. And, and the rich young ruler says, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, knew that he had all this, this wealth. He said, go and sell it all and give it to the poor and then come and follow me. You think, man, that's pretty tough. And it said the guy's face fell and he turned and walked away. And the Lord let him go. I mean, most of us would say, oh, just a minute, just a minute, just a minute. Just tithe. <laughs> Wouldn't we? Give a $1,000 love offering. We, we, would have, we would have gone somewhere else with it. Because we want to win this guy, see? And yet here's Jesus, the Savior, watching him walk away and letting him go. Why? Because he knows that, that if he doesn't make this decision, he won't be born again. He loves him enough to tell him the truth so the man can have his name written in the Lamb's Book of Life and be born again. And so he lets him walk away. I'm sure praying for him that the day will come when his family's riches become dust to him. And he wants heavenly treasure instead. There has to be a presentation of the demands of Christ. There are specific issues a person must engage to be born again. You know, you can go to church and people will say, who wants Jesus to come into your heart? And it's kind of this vague, come into your heart business. Now, some people know what that means. They've been taught, 
And so at that moment, they make the full response. And indeed, they're born again. So I'm not saying no one's ever born again when you're asking Jesus into your heart. But there'll be a lot of people who don't have a, a vaguest notion of what that really means. Sort of like, you know, whatever. Come in. And they haven't engaged the issues of, of the demands of Christ at all. And they aren't born again, but they're inoculated thinking they must be. The conviction of the Holy Spirit must be that the Spirit must reveal how each truth applies to me. And that's the work of God. It's a sovereign work of God. He shows us how each truth applies to us. And then finally, there has to be a decision to submit and believe what the Spirit is saying to me. I, must, I may understand, I may have revelation, these things are true. The Spirit of God may move, but I may choose I, not to pay the price. We're, we're shrewd bargainers. And there's not a person in the room that as we think about surrendering our lives to Christ, who doesn't do a quick assessment, what will this mean to me if I do? What is the price I will pay at work, in my marriage, with my family, uh, with, my, with my pleasure, with my entertainment? What will it do to my alcohol consumption? What will it do to my pornography? What will it do? We soup right with just in the wink of an eye. We assess the cost like that. And there'll be those who know the truth and have it revealed and say, I'm not willing to pay the price. There's, so there's a deep decision of the heart. All right, what are the demands of Christ to which I must respond? First of all, he calls me to repentance. Repentance means that I believe what God says about me. What does he say about me? He says, I'm a sinner. He says, all of us are. I mean, you say, well, I know that. I, I know I'm a sinner. But here's what the Holy Spirit goes after. He doesn't go after the fact that you, you, you spit and chew and run with the girls that do. He, he... Thank you for laughing. You know, we often think, oh, I know what he'll go after in my life. You know, I, I, I'm, I got this addiction or I, I got this temper. or I got, And we go down these things we feel bad about ourselves for. Yes, he wants those cleaned up. But I'm going to tell you, that is not the thing the Holy Spirit's going for. How do I know? John 16. Jesus says this. He says, the Spirit of God has been sent to convict the world of three things. And the first thing is, he says, sin. And then he tells you what the sin is that he's going after. And he doesn't say it's all these bad things. He wants you to clean your life up. He says it's sin that they what? They don't believe in me. That's the sin the devil, I mean, pardon me, that's the sin the devil wants you to ignore. And that's the sin the Holy Spirit goes after. That you and I have chosen to live our lives independently and rebelliously to the God who made us and to the Lord who died for us. That is the vilest of all sin. We've been made for him, the one who made us and loves us. We've been made for his glory, made to serve him. And then we've said, we don't want you messing around in our lives. We don't want you interfering with our stuff. We want you out. That's a decision that we've made in the way we've lived our lives. And he says, that's the sin he goes after. He calls us to repent. Repent and says, Lord, I'm coming home. I'm coming home. I'm not running away anymore. I'm not a rebel anymore. I'm not independent from you anymore. I love you and I'm coming home. That's the heart of repentance. Secondly, faith. I must believe what God says about his son Jesus. A little while ago, 
I had a young man come to service, and, and after, he waited for me after service, and he said, uh, he said, I am so lost. And I, and I said, I didn't know where he was going with this, and I said, in what way? And he said, spiritually. And uh, he said, I've, I'm, I'm doing wine, women, and song. And he said, I'm, I'm doing it bad. And I said, well, you need, would you like to receive Jesus as your Savior? He says, well... I, did, I prayed to have Jesus come into my heart when I was 10, and they told me he'd never leave. I said, well, the Bible says that if a man continues to practice sin, that the seed of God is not in him. So somebody's, not, somebody's lying to you. I said, your lifestyle and the, and, the, and the length of this has proven it didn't take. And that shocked him. Because, you know, a lot of people ride on this once saved, always saved thing, thinking, hey, when I was 10 years old, I went to the altar and I prayed this prayer, and so I may be selling drugs to school kids here, you know, but God knows I just need refining. Now, God knows your heart isn't there. You're not, there's not, a born-again heart doesn't do that. The Bible doesn't have any doubts that we sin and that we need regular confession. But the struggle with sin and flagrant hypocrisy are two wildly different things. And born-again men and women aren't flagrant hypocrites. They're weak. They're made out of flesh. They have their issues. They're growing and learning. But they're not flagrant hypocrites. So I said, let me, if you're, if you're really interested, sit down. And I got out this green brochure on how to be born again. And I started going down it. And... Uh, I said, you need to not only have believed when you were 10, you need to believe today. And I said, frankly, you need to believe, be, be believing on the day you die. See, that's the point of that parable. It says that the lamps need to be burning when the bridegroom returns. When we receive Christ, it isn't you take a little deal and sort of try it out. You're committing yourself to trust that Jesus Christ is your righteousness. That what he did on the cross took your sin and it was nailed to the cross with him. That he paid the price for you so that his goodness covers your life and you will go to heaven because of, of your faith in Christ and him alone. And you, it's a lifestyle. We believe that to the last breath in our body. You don't just dabble with it. You commit to it. And it becomes part a foundation in your whole life. Here's the, here's the point that he struggled with. There has to be full surrender. What do I mean by that? The American church is happy to tell you you're a sinner. They're happy to say that Jesus died for your sins. Just believe it and you're saved. That's not the whole story. Jesus says it real clearly. He says, anybody that comes after me must take up his cross and follow me. And he says it many other ways, many other places. You and I must sell out. Now, that doesn't mean I'm perfect or anything else, but it means I make a decision that says, from this day forward, I don't live for myself anymore. I live for God. I love him. Glorifying him is the most important thing in my life. Not glorifying me, not my pleasures, not my advancement, not my reputation, not those things. I'm not living for me. 
And see, this is where you're going to see a lot of Christians who say they're Christians and yet their lifestyle proves they're living for themselves. Everything they do, even going to church, is about themselves. They haven't surrendered. They haven't surrendered. This is why I've got religious people who get cantankerous as they get old, but not Christ-like. Because it ain't happened. Now, it's full surrender. It's a decision to sell out and say, Lord, I'm yours. I choose the treasure of heaven over the pleasures and riches of this world. Now, it doesn't mean you go sell everything and live on a hill. It it me, it's an attitude here. It's a, it's a choice that's made in the heart. And it's meant and it's sincere. Now, living at, living, the living out of this full surrender is, is a lifetime. But it begins. And when it begins, a person, it's a key element to being born again. When I hit that point with this young man, I said, are you ready to surrender like that? He said, I am not. I am not. And I said, that's an, ad, that's an honest answer. And I said, when you are, the Lord's ready for you. And I'll be delighted to pray with you. And I said, could I pray for you now? He said, sure. Put my hand around him, arm around him. I said, oh, Lord God, you've heard him. He's not ready to surrender. I pray, Lord, that you would make life, uh, the pleasures of this world, so miserable that he will... <laughs> that they will be dust in his mouth and that he will lose his love for this world and that he will long for eternal life. Oh God, come now and work in his heart. Amen. Thank you. You're welcome. Now, I wasn't being unkind. I don't wish him ill. I wish him to get sick of things that are pleasure for a season but will ultimately be death to him. See, you've got to get in touch with this. Either, if the Bible's true, this world's passing away, and there is an eternal life ahead of us that is so much more wonderful than what we have now, that this is the shadow lands. And it really is a deep trade that goes on. That eternal life is of greater value to me than all of the riches and treasures of this world. And then finally, I must confess him. Jesus says there's no secret believers. Those who come to him must publicly confess him. That doesn't mean you have to stand on a street corner with a sign that reads, turn or burn, get right or get left. Um, <laughs> eternity, smoking or non-smoking, your choice. You know, that, that, you know, you know I, uh, if you did, people would probably come to the Lord. So I'm not, I'm not really against that. I'm just saying that's not what it means. It means that in word and deed, you'll live out the love of God. It means that you, that's how you live. Now, I've presented to you the demands of Christ. Repentance. Repentance of this, that I've lived independently and rebelliously to the God who made me. Have you repented and submitted yourself to him and trusted that his great love for you and his purity, who he is, is so wonderful that you no longer want to be a rebel, but you want to come to your Father's arms and you want His will and His plan for you. And instead of running away from Him, you're determined to open your arms 
and welcome him as your Lord and Savior. That's repentance. Are you ready to believe that Christ has paid your penalty and that it's really true? It's something you'll commit for the rest of your life, but you're going to stand in the fact over and over again, over and over again, thanking the Lord for dying on your behalf so that your sin is taken away, nailed to the cross, and will never be presented, is not an issue between you and the Father ever again. You're willing to believe that with all your heart. That becomes something you don't believe in your head. It's something you, with your heart, you cling to Christ. You hang on to Christ. He's your hope. Are you ready to fully surrender? Fully surrender. Do you believe that God loves you? That he's wiser than you? That you could put your hand in his and let him guide your life into whatever he wants you to do? And that it would be a better life and a far more meaningful life. That you'd be fulfilling the reason you were made in your mother's womb. I believe that many of us are depressed and discouraged and frustrated. We look at life and it seems confusing and meaningless. It is because we've tried to live it ourselves. And what we're doing is swimming upstream. God has made you in your mother's womb for a specific purpose. There are things you're supposed to do on this planet. Every one of us. And if we walk away from that and you try your own, it's like a person swimming upstream against a current. It's always awkward. It never gets easy. Things just don't seem to work right. And there's those of us who are depressed, discouraged, frustrated with life, and we, what went wrong? When I fully surrender, I turn around and I begin to swim with the current, with the way God has made me, and things change radically, I promise. Didn't mean it's easy, but it means inside the restlessness, the confusion is gone. The sense of purpose and of God's love upon you. His assistance, his divine assistance with his anointing is there continually for you. It's a whole different life. And that we would confess him before the Lord. Not ashamed, not hiding him, but letting his love come through us every opportunity we can. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray those things. It doesn't matter to me how long you've been in church. It matters to me that these things are true for you now. So I, I feel that there'll be those today who may be religious for a long time, but you've really never engaged those things. I'm inviting you to pray and to submit and to yield your heart to Christ. And you'll be born again and you will know it. And some of you, for the first time, you have a never, never really heard the gospel like this. I want to say one more thing, and that is, I felt led of the Lord. I like our heads bowed as we prayed. But some of you may need to make a deep statement today. And that is by standing and praying this prayer. Just saying, Lord, I stand before you and I proclaim these things to be true. And so I just offer that as an option. Some of you will want to stand maybe and declare this prayer with a whole heart because this is your moment. This is your moment. You're going to walk out of here today knowing your eternal life. So please feel free to do that. If you're ready to pray, then pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I love you. From this day forward, I am not a rebel anymore. 
I welcome your will. I'm sorry that I have lived independently, rebelliously, that I felt that your ways would spoil my life. That's foolish thinking. I recognize that today. And I renounce it. Your ways are life. And I choose them. I love you. And want to be with you. Every moment. Of the rest of my eternity. Father. Thank you for sending your son. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe you sent your son to die. In my place. As of today, I trust what he did on the cross as payment in full for my sins. And I will trust him to the last breath in my body. He is my Savior. He is my righteousness. Because of him, the record of my sins have been nailed to the cross and are no longer in my life. I believe. And now, Father, because of all you've done, I can do nothing else but fully surrender my life. My old life is gone. And from this day forward, I surrender all. Nothing held back. I want to live for Jesus Christ. I want to serve Him. I want my life to glorify Him. I put my hand in yours and no longer try to wrestle with you, but will follow you wherever you lead me. Dear Lord, I call you Lord joyfully knowing that now my life will make sense. I commit also to confess you publicly wherever the opportunity would be. As you open a door, I want the love of God to come through me. I am not ashamed of you, Jesus. And I'm thankful you're not ashamed of me. Thank you for the new birth. My name is now written clearly in the Lamb's book of life. And your sweet voice will call out my name on that day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.